All right, open your Bibles to the book of the Revelation, chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20. We're in our 13th Bible study in this series, Things to Come. And tonight we come to not a pleasant consideration, but a reality that is, God says, will take place. And it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Just by way of maybe review a little bit, the events that we have talked about in a sense of chronology, uh, the next thing to happen in God's prophetic calendar, if you want to put it that way, is the rapture of the saints. Uh, the trump shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be gathered together, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, we believe the Bible teaches clearly a pre tribulational, pre-millennial rapture of the saints. Following that will be the judgment seat of Christ. This is for believers only. 1 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And each and every believer will stand before the Lord who will not judge whether or not we are saved. That was settled at the cross when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But whether or not our life has counted for eternity in God's economy, whether it has been worthwhile or worthless is the idea. And then we'll have a celebratory time, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb with the Lord Jesus Christ, his bride, the church, will be with him. And what a wonderful, wonderful event that will be. Following that will be, oh, let me see here. I've got, there, there's one missing. The tribulation, seven years of tribulation. An awful time on this earth where Easily half the population will uh, die between the different judgments that are poured out uh, and so on. But believers will, uh, we will, if you're saved before that time, we will not be here. We'll be called out. At the end of the tribulation is the battle of Armageddon. Christ will return once again. At the end of that battle, the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire forever. Also, Satan will be cast into the bottomless pit. He'll be bound and cast there for 1,000 years. And that will provide, uh, that will enable the 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth, the millennial reign. Perfect rule perfect justice, but a thousand years. And during that thousand years, many will be born. The earth will be repopulated. Not all of those who are born will put their trust in Christ, which is hard to imagine, but it is true. And following the millennial reign, Satan will be set free for a brief period of time and he will deceive and, and the nations, some will be deceived. There's one final attempt 
at this rebellion against God. And then finally, Satan is forever cast into the lake of fire. And that's where we ended last week. So look at Revelation chapter 20. And verse number 10, which is that statement. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the, and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books, notice that's plural, the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we, we have come to that final judgment. Believers are judged at the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment is for unbelievers. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, the setting in verses 11 and 12. The first thing that is mentioned is that we can see is this great white throne. And John the Apostle, the Holy Spirit had him write, I saw a great white throne. You'll find that phrase of there being the reality of something in the book of the Revelation uh, 37 times, if I counted correctly, I saw, I saw, I saw. And God allowed John to see this as a, an event that would take place in real time. And truly, John the Apostle saw far more than any man has ever yet been able to see. Where it is, the Bible doesn't say. Uh, there's conjecture, we can guess, we can postulate, but if the Bible doesn't say, all it is is an educated guess. We know it's not in heaven because no unbeliever has access to heaven. So somewhere, God has designated a place for this great white throne. Why is it called great? Not because it's good. It's called great for a couple of suggested, re, uh, suggested reasons. Number one, because of the demonstration of God's great power. No one is exempt from this. There's no one that can escape it. There's no one that is an unbeliever that will not be there. So it demonstrates God's almighty power. Uh, you could say it, the word great is used because of the great number of people. Can you imagine the innumerable multitude that would be there? Every unbeliever since the time of creation will be present. Every single one. 
And also you could suggest maybe that it's great because of the consequences of the judgment. Great in the sense of awesome or overwhelming. Be that as it may, as it, it, whatever reason, God tells us very clearly it is a great white throne. Well, white in the Bible, along with fire, often is used to emphasize the holiness of God. So it is a holy and righteous judgment on all unholiness and unrighteous men and women of all time. And there's no question it is a righteous judgment because God is a righteous God. So we see the throne, but also in verse number 11, we see the judge on his throne and describes him and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. The appearance of Christ is described earlier in the book of Revelation. Keep your finger here. Turn back to chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And let's just take note of a few verses here describing the Lord. Verse 13 is where I'll begin. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. And then he goes on to give John instruction to write what he had seen. So it's very obvious who this is. This is the Lord Jesus himself. Imagine with the nail prints in his hands, with the scars upon his back and face, the wound of the spear in his side, all these marks of what wicked men did to him. And yet, because these who are gathered in that day have ignored or denied or refused or cursed him or disobeyed or did not believe, for whatever reason, they did not finally accept Christ. Now they stand before him as their righteous judge. As you try and imagine in your mind and visualize it, it's an overwhelming sight. The Bible says that the heavens and earth flee away. There's no place for them. The idea is there's no place for them to run. There will be no place where these people can hide. We see the throne. We see the judge. And then verse 12 goes on to describe the guilty that are gathered. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. 
What a congregation that'll be. What a crowd. People of all rank. People of all status. From the richest to the poorest, that'll have no bearing on why they're there. From the educated to the illiterate, that'll have no bearing as to why they're there. To those who had fame during their life on earth and those who were obscure, no bearing as to why they were there. They will all be there because they rejected God's gift of grace of eternal life through Jesus Christ, who is judge on that day. It doesn't matter who they are. They're all in the same condition. Death will be the great leveler on that day. So we see the judge, we see the guilty, but then let's see the books. I'm sorry, I get involved teaching and I don't keep up. So I do this occasionally in class too. There we go. They're all there so you can catch up with the notes if you like them. The books, notice verse 12. And the, and, and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Does it fascinate you that God is keeping records according to their works? You know, some I've read where they say that our human minds never really forget anything. There just needs to be the stimuli to bring it back to our memory, to our conscious mind. Or they say computers. You may think you lost something. It's not lost. It's there somewhere. It just takes a genius to search that hard drive to find it. Whether or not that's true, I'm not a computer geek. I don't know. But I do know this. The God who allows man to create such amazing devices with amazing memory capacity. You know, remember when it was megabyte was a big deal? And terabyte? in gigabyte and some other kind of byte. I have no clue what it's called. You know, they, they, they keep increasing the capacity of these machines. If man can do that, God has no trouble keeping track of all that all have ever done. All people of all time who are not washed in the blood of the lamb all of their works are recorded. Now, there are two books that are specifically mentioned here. It says, first of all, uh, the book of life. We call it sometimes the Lamb's book of life. This is the book where all the names of all those who from the beginning of human history until the end have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. 
In the Old Testament, they looked forward by faith. That's why they had the sacrificial system telling them over and over and over again, one day there's a perfect lamb coming. And that's why the statement by John the Baptist twice in John chapter one about the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world is so significant. So all the Old Testament saints look forward to the cross. All of us in the New Testament area, the church age or the age of grace, are looking back to the cross, but it's still a faith issue. It's still a faith issue that what he would do on the cross would wash away our sins and we could be regenerated by the work of God. People from every tribe and nation, Revelation 5 talks about, who will be gathered around the throne, every people group, every language group, every truly born again person listed in the book of life. I can't imagine the immensity of that book. But then it also talks about in verse number 12 uh, that, that the books were opened and another book was opened. So what are the first books mentioned? It says later on in verse 12 that they will be judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Judged according to their works. You want to write a reference there in the margin, Psalm 69, 28. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So this isn't going to be an arbitrary judgment. This isn't going to be an emotion-driven judgment. It's not going to be based on who you know or what you know. I, I would suggest to you, uh, this is arguable depending on who you read, that there's a, this book would be everybody was listed in it and then they were expunged from it when they die without Christ. So in one book, they're added to it when they get saved. From the other book, they're removed from it when they don't get saved. But either way, it says they will be judged according to their works. Just like believers at the judgment seat of Christ will be uh, rewarded according to their faithfulness or not and, and will have crowns to cast at Jesus' feet. There, just like there are degrees of reward in heaven, there are degrees of judgment in hell. That's a, that's a frightening thought. Uh, the most moral person in, in the world, if they don't receive Christ, they still go to hell. But they don't experience the same hell as others whose lives have condemned and doomed and damned others. John chapter 12, verse 48 says, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So the books will be opened and judgment will be rendered based on the contents of the book. So that's the setting. Secondly, I want you to notice the appearing. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, or the grave, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. There's the second time. Judged according to their works. 
No one is exempt. There's no avoiding this judgment for the unbeliever. Some have thought, well, when I die, I'm just going to be cremated, so there's nothing left to judge. No. We see how God calls all to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Death speaks of what happens to the human body when life ends. Hell, Hades, is the place where the soul and the spirit of unbelievers go at death. This is a temporary place of judgment. And uh, remember Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. There was a great gulf fixed there. So death will deliver up the bodies and Hades will deliver up their eternal soul and together they will stand in the bodies in which they refuse to accept God's salvation and face their judgment. There's no circumstantial evidence. There's no trumped up charges. This is an infallible record because it's God's record. It reveals all the details. I I don't know, time will be no more. So is God going to have it all read? Date, time, event? I don't know. But the Bible says in verse 13, they were judged every man according to their works. Verse number 12. And were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. God isn't careless with his words. Twice in two verses, this judgment is rendered according to their works. There'd be no point of having a record of their works if there was no accounting for them, right? There'd be, why would God... Uh, Why would God be so meticulous in doing this if there wasn't a reason for that accounting? So we have the setting, we have the appearing, and thirdly, we have the sentence declared. Verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Remember Hebrews said, it's appointed in a man once to die, but after this, the judgment, this is the culmination of that statement. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This isn't going to be who can twist the law to their advantage. Who can find some judicial loophole to even though the person may be found guilty, they can get uh, uh, set free from a court of law on this earth. No, these books only declare truth. There's no defense. No defense can be offered. And all uh, at that great white throne are guilty before they arrive just the determination of their judgment will be established. Notice once again, verse 14, and let the words weigh on your heart. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Why is it called the second death? Because the first death is that of the human body. 
The Olivet Discourse, Matthew 25, verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So understand, every unbeliever who is cast into this awful eternal judgment is an intruder. Hell was not created for them. This lake of fire was not created for them. Jesus came to this earth so that no one go there. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ, the offer of salvation is for all. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so when people say to me, and I've had them say it to me when I've been out trying to witness to folks, I can't believe in a God who would send somebody to hell. My answer is God sends no one to hell. Anyone who goes to hell made that choice. Now, I don't say that lightly. I don't say it flippantly. And it's not a happy thought to me. But it is a truth statement. Jesus came to this earth to suffer, to die on the cross, to pay a just penalty for our sin so that we not have to be there at that day. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now remember, folks, as, as heavy as that is, you know, I don't necessarily, I just soon teach about heaven. I just soon teach about how to, how to walk with the Lord. And I do a, that kind of teaching. But God did not give us his information, his word, for us not to know it and understand. But understand, not one person that's in that uh, innumerable crowd has to be there. No one is foreordained to hell. God's grace is sufficient for all. Anybody who's there is because they've chosen not to accept God's gift of salvation and they've condemned themselves to be there. And so the practical application is Let's be busy. Work while there's still time. That loved one, don't quit praying. That neighbor, that friend who is yet is unsaved, don't give up. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season, by God's grace, you'll reap if you faint not. Let, let's be diligent. Let's, let's renew that passion of our responsibility to spread the good news. Why do we emphasize missions work? Because the world needs to hear. Why do we have donuts indoors? Why do we go into our community? Why do we do special events to share the gospel? Because there's still time. But one day, once that trumpet sounds and we enter into this chronology of events, it's, this is where it's ending for the unsaved. And if we don't want anyone that we know to be there, then let's not give up yet. Things to come. The great white throne judgment, God's final judgment for all unbelievers. We've got three or four more weeks in our study of things to come. And I'm really praying about the next series 
I've been wanting to do a series of just a practical uh, how to study the Bible personally for myself, not for a lesson, not for preaching, how to get more out of my personal time with God. I read some things a while back, stirred my thoughts about, you know what, I think this would be helpful. Uh, I'm not sure that's God's plan yet. Pray for me. Uh, I always want to be sensitive to the Lord and what we teach here. But uh, we've got four more weeks here. We're going to look at the reality of hell. What does the Bible say about hell? We're going to look at the eternal state. What, is, what do we know? What does God say about that? And we're going, to, we're going to bring this to a close, listening to the Lord's final message to you and me found in his book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I pray, Lord, that though as a child of God, we need not fear this event, help us to recognize that we all, every week, come in contact with people who have no assurance of their eternal salvation. They don't know you. Maybe they don't know you because of their background and they grew up in a culture or a family that teaches a false religion and that's all they know. Maybe they don't know you because they're so caught up in worshiping the God mammon that they don't know there is a greater God, Jehovah God, that they need to have a relationship with through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand that the broad way is well populated. The narrow way, few there be that find it. And so we need to be faithful, accurate signposts showing people that the way onto that way, the gate is Jesus Christ because you're the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for our church family. We do pray your blessing on uh, this coming weekend and our service for you, that you'd work in a special way in hearts and lives through the preaching of your word and that we would be faithful to share the good news every opportunity we have. For it's your name we pray, amen.